All right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Look at us. Look at us. This is Scott. And this is Ollie. Here we are back again for fun and frolic uh, about whatever we're going to talk about, which today <laughs> we are going to talk about. This is so, um, such a professional show. It is. Yeah. I mean, we, we hone, um, we hone our craft as they mm. say in the business. Right. We, uh, we are very serious about this and um, yeah. Yes. So yeah. So here we are. So, um, so this week we are going to talk again about something that we talk a lot about, which is relationships, but we're going to bump it up a level in the hierarchy and talk a little bit about relationships in leadership. Um, and this has been sparked by a couple of things. One is, I mean, you and I have had leadership roles at our yeah. universities in various ways. Um, I, I now have a new leadership role that begins soon that I'm, this is is like trumpet drum roll. And there was great rejoicing. I know that people were like, you know, I saw, I saw everywhere online. People were like champion your, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, your ascension, your ascension. The the excitement is, is (laughs) overwhelmed my Twitter. It is. Uh, yeah. You're blowing up. You want to like, so what is your role? What is the, what is your new I will for one year be the interim department head of curriculum instruction department at, uh, at Penn, the, the, the Penn state university. Um, so, uh, which is a pretty big deal, man. That is like something that's awesome. Good for you. Well, thank you. I'm not, I'm not sure yet if it's a big deal, but, uh, but. I'm, well, I, I mean, I think like, don't poo poo it. Right? Well, I'm not poo pooing uh, it because so, <laughs> we don't poo poo things on this show. No, that is a poo poo free zone. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, I think if a, if a listeners, you know, out there, they may not understand like how big curriculum instruction is at a place like Penn state. That's a huge department. Yeah. It's a large and complicated organism and it's going to be very interesting, um, to move from being, I mean, I think one of the things that, and we can talk about this too, but I think one of the things that you learn as you move from being a faculty into any leadership role is, um, your perspective on how leaders do their job changes a lot because you have a lot more insight into the complexity. And I'm not trying to say that faculty don't understand what administrators do, um, but I am trying to say that you don't think about what administrators do um, and you have maybe even a vision of what they do in your head that it doesn't comport with what they actually do. So um, so I think you know it's, it's going to be an interesting transition I don't really know what it's going to be like. I, I mean, I, I will say, you know, jokes have left the room that it, that it is. It's nice to be asked to do this. It is a recognition that people think I'm capable of doing that. Um, I think, you know, we know that sometimes being capable of uh, being in an administrative role at an academic institution it can be a low bar uh, in lots of ways for sure. complicated reasons. But um, but anyway, well, I, but I, but this was not really. I mean, I don't know how much inside baseball we want to do here. But like, yep. this was a, a, a job you didn't necessarily aspire to, but not aspire to. I mean, you were like you're willing to do this, but you were asked to do this, right? And yeah, and like it's not like it wasn't on your you know you know things to do. You know, no. I I goals someday, of my life, goals of your life. No. But I think that 
from, you know, if we're going to draw on some other podcasts that I, I, I listen to Adam Grant a lot and mm-hmm. Adam Grant says, you know, you want leaders who don't want to be leaders. Right. 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 <laughs> and so, I mean, I think that's a perfect, like you have to, he, he, and he often says it the other way too. You have to be a little bit concerned about people who want to be the leader yeah. of the room because sometimes their motivations aren't the motivations of everyone else. Right. And so, right. um, so I think it's awesome that, you know, you're going to be in this role because I know it's you, you um, I think you have the skill set to be a good leader um, mm-hmm. without necessarily having the, the motivations for that, uh, you know, that golden ring, right? Like you're like, thanks. Yeah. Well, and I do think the reality is a job like department head at a university is very servicey job. Like it's not, like being a dean or a department, uh, um, a provost or a president, where you have like a discretion and you can provide vision and direction and and put resources into things. But you're you're essentially, I mean, if you're gonna, re- I, I'm thinking the percentages between eighty and ninety percent of what your job is is service. You're sort right. of taking care of the business of the department, and then there's a little bit of wiggle room at the top of that. Um, job description that lets you do a little bit of leadershipy things. But I think that does roll back into what we're going to talk about today, because it is a question of like, well, what does it mean to be a leader? Because there is a perception, I think, that leading is those things I just described, which is like vision and mission right. and where do you put your resources? But there's lots of other things. And and the reason that I wanted to talk about this, besides the selfish reason that I wanted to talk about to a smart friend about a thing that I'm going to have to deal with. Are we um, bringing a guest on today? Are we bringing yeah. a guest? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Brian Brown's on the show. Smart friend? Who? Where? <laughs> friend of the show, Brian Brown, has appeared uh, for this very special wow. episode. Uh, and Ollie's going to sit this one out. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, though. <laughs> um, no, well, I mean, I think you have a lot of insight into this. Sure. And I think also... Um, you know, like you, I listen to Adam Grant. I also listen to Brene Brown, and Brene yeah. Brown had um, had a has a podcast called Dare to Lead. Um, and recently, she she had a guy on talking about this this exact thing about relationships. Um, and I'll uh, I had it up here a second ago, and now I've lost it. But I'm going to find out. Um, Irwin, Mike Irwin, who is a military guy wrote a book about relationships and their importance in leadership. So, um, I mean, I think I just want to sort of riff on that idea because I do think we take, we don't think very much, or I'll, I'll say I don't or haven't in the past thought about that role as much as I um, should. I, I think I've thought about all the other more obvious parts of what it means to be a leader of a group of people um, and less about the relationship. But, you know, in reflecting back, and this is why I wanted to talk with you about it, like we have had lots of from small leadership things, which you could think of a, a classroom as being a leadership thing, but also, you know, more college or university department level leadership things. So we've, yeah. we've done this kind of work. Yeah. And so you've been, so at your, uh, at, at, Penn State, they have a this sort of like 
department structure, but they also have like subject matter things, right? Where like, what do they, what do they call it? Leads? Yeah, like they're different. Yeah. So, so there are professors in charge, okay. which is, or picks. Um, and I have, I have been that. Um, and there are also program coordinators. So program coordinators are at the undergraduate level and picks are at the graduate level. In my case, in science education, those are lumped into one thing. So I've been professor in charge and program coordinator of science ed for uh, probably, I don't know, 12, 13 years. So, and that's a relatively small leadership role, right? Like that means that I essentially have responsibility for, for the faculty that are in science education, which has varied, but let's just say it's a five plus or minus two. Um, so it's not a huge group yeah. over, over those 12 years. Um, but you've had was, some sure. university level stuff. Yeah, I've been so yeah, my roles um I'm a a coordinator of a a graduate program so I still serve in that role and mm-hmm. I'm I'm considering you know short term long term someplace you know transitioning into handing that off to someone else um because I think that um I have a couple of people I I've identified as as people who would lead that well and you know I'm right at, you know I've I've been in that role for like I don't know 10 years, almost yeah. 10 years, eight years. Um, and I often think like it, you need to have some fresh people with some fresh perspectives there. Yeah. Um, I was our department chair, uh, interim department chair for a semester. Be, uh, our, uh, our, and my, our department is Ed Foundations, Educational Foundations, and uh, department about that time, about 15 faculty members. Mm. So, um, you know, I did the scheduling and the budgets and all that. And, and I think that you, you, you were saying about like service. I think that, you know, the thing I learned in that semester was that, you know, being that kind of leader, um, service is the, is the critical part of it. Right. I mean, they, the, in order to, you you know, really do that job. Well, if you're thinking only about your own aspirations, own motivations, my, my, my motivations was just to keep the boat afloat for a semester and try to make sure that, you know, the light stayed on and yeah. And, and, and the faculty members and students and administration were being served. And, and I think taking the approach of like being in service to everybody is mm-hmm. like, and so just addressing and, and, and being a good steward. Right. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I've, I've served, you know, a, lots of committee chairs on campus sure. and, and, but I've also served as uh, the, the director of our teaching and learning center on campus. So I did that for, I don't know, 10 years. Um, yeah. Which was, you know, a university level, you know, leadership position, which was, you know, awesome. It was, it was great fun. It was lots of, you know, great work. Um, I got to work with lots of awesome people and, you know, that was probably, I would say one of the, um, you know, the real like highlights of my career. I was like, one of the the things I really enjoyed, you know, then the pandemic hit and And it got less enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me that I'm also, still director of the Krauss uh, studios for innovation. And that um, while that has fluctuated in its responsibilities, um, you know, that is another, another leadership role that I've had. And, uh, you know, but, but I think you still serve in that role, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm on the NARS board, uh, which is our science education national organization. I'm on their board of directors. And um, so, there, I mean, but I do think coming back to this point, um, 
I think to the degree that I've had success in places where I've where I've had leadership roles, I think it's because I've thought about those things much in the way I do a classroom, which is to right. say my primary job is to get to know the people that I am leading, whatever leading means in that context, whatever. And, and, um, and that those relationships, um, are, are important to getting the work done. They're not just a nice add on. They're not, they're not a thing that you can, um, just sort of say, oh yeah, well, I sort of know, you know, I know Ali a little bit. Um, and it's, it, he's a nice guy, but it, to be able to work in especially what can be very intense environments about making decisions about people. Um, it, it really is important to have those relationships and to be self-consciously cultivating those relationships. Yeah. I, I think that when I think about leadership, it's, it's almost like an invisible thing. Um, whenever you have a good leader in place, right? When you have a good yeah. leader, when you work with somebody who's really fostering relationships, really being a, 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 uh, in tune with the people they're serving, um, it's almost invisible. It's like things just work. Yeah. But whenever you're working with somebody who's not a good leader, somebody who is not attending to communication or relationship building, or you know just checking in to see if people are okay, hmm. um, we're giving them agency right that and that's like the yeah. you know there's it's that autonomy and agency that is so critical for you know it's not just for students in our classrooms but mm -hmm. also you know when i think about like you know the arc or trajectory of you know teachers and faculty members at universities or teachers in schools you know Whenever they have more autonomy and more agency, they find more value in their 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 jobs. And what happens with a lot of folks is is they sometimes because of the leaders they're working with, they lose some of that agency and they lose yeah. some of that autonomy. Um, and that's where the burnout happens. And that's why I think that so many teachers right now are leaving. And I think that's also the case with you know um, school leaders are leaving too. Yeah, right. is that they are recognizing that they don't have the agency of the autonomy that they um they had um or wish they had and they're going to either other places where they can have that or just leaving the profession completely you know yeah no i think that's a, yeah i think that's a really good point and an interesting point in particular because i think you know going back to your your comment about your leadership role and the impact of the pandemic i mean i do think you know, and we, this is part of the reason this podcast exists is we recognized that that shift um, impacted the relationships of the people in these organizations, whether that's teachers with students, whether that's leaders with teachers, whatever it is, whether that's university people and their faculty. Um, but, but that, that was the, you know, we talk a lot, well, we talk about both sides of that coin, but one of the invisible costs uh, and by both sides of the coin, I mean both the positive things that came out of the pandemic, because I think there were some that people have talked about in terms of the way we think about work. Um, but one of the clear negatives, at least from my point of view, is we lost a lot of that relational sense of any group, like pick whatever group you want, um, teachers with students, you know, but our department, like, and, and that loss is real. And, 
it isn't just that the people in the department or in whatever don't pal around anymore. It's that there has been a loss of cohesion and sense of, of, um, you know, caring and trust between the people that have to do work together. And, and that is, that is really hard. Like you have to rebuild that with intention. Um, if you want these organizations to be able to continue to function because they are relational, uh, activities. And if people don't feel that sense of relation, they don't, they aren't satisfied because as you say, they don't feel a sense of agency because there probably isn't a sense of agency because the leaders don't trust you. And they're so, so relationship, trust, and agency all are a package, um, that we don't, don't often think of the relation part of that. We think about the agency part and we think about the, the, um, the other thing that was the, Trust. <laughs> trust. Thank you. We think about trust to some degree, but we tend to think about agency and and more about the work, right? Rather than the relationships that make the work possible. Yeah. Well, I I think that what what we and this is sort of the premise of the show is is that you know relationships matter mm-hmm. and and leaders who attend to building and fostering relationships are going to be able to do that job better. However, I don't always know whether the leaders who are in that position are thinking about it from that perspective. They're thinking about it from, oh, I have a I have a vision, right? Like you said, I have this vision or this is how I want to move the department or this is how I want to, you know, um these are my this is my five-year plan, right? Or whatever. Right, right, right. And 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 it's also kind of hinged with their own personal motivations because i know that there are some people who are in you know this that three to five year leadership if i move into this you know then three to five years then i'm going to be able to move to this next thing right and that happens in schools a lot like you have you know principals move in this you know district office and the district office they move to you know superintendent's positions and so you it's almost like a three to five year clock three to five year clock and and the people who don't do that are sort of like the exceptions. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I, I have a, a principal who just left, just left his principal position, but he was the longest serving principal in the entire county. Like yeah. he was working as a high school principal for like 15 years. Yeah. That is unheard of. Like that's yeah. unheard of. And the same thing with like, you have some department chairs who serve as department chairs for for years and they are like, they're the chair of their department, but then you have other folks who are like, this is really my goal of, you know, I'm going to step into this so that I can become a Dean and then I can be a provost. Right. right? And you see that trajectory. And then it's like this ascension, right? They're trying to work at that, planning their next thing. And when you're in a job for three to five years and you're looking for the next thing, it's kind of hard to really foster relationships because it's like keeping an eye on on the door or yeah. keeping an eye on the the next opportunity. And and that is and and I'll I'll be frank, not a lot, not every leader is that way. Yeah. Not every leader is that way. But the ones who are, I mean, you get a sense of that. And and my fear is that's what's probably going to happen. And you're going to hold the you know things afloat for a a year, and they're going to bring in somebody who's going to do that, right? Or mm-hmm. like that might be their their mindset is like, okay, being a department chair at Penn State is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Five years from now, you're probably going to be looking for another department chair at mm-hmm. that, right? Is yeah. like, that person is going to be like you know moving on to the dean of some position? Like you know, 
some yeah. other school. Right? It very well could be. And, you know, I mean, to your point, it, it's a little tricky because, um, and this I think goes back to that idea of relationships, but, you know, there are, I mean, part of the reason that three to five year pattern exists is, as you say, that there are people who take jobs with the intent of moving up. Like this is, they recognize from the moment they walk in the door, this is a transition. Like I'm here to suck it up for a couple of years so I can get this job further up the food chain that I really want. Um, and then I think the reverse of that is also um, the people that take those jobs and maybe aren't maybe explicitly are not, are thinking, I don't want, like I'm going to do this for a while and then I'm going to be out of it. But if they're capable and competent, sometimes they get plucked and, and people, you know, call them and say, Hey, we hear you're doing a great job as department head at Penn State. Do you want to apply for this associate dean's job at, you know, Wisconsin or whatever, right? So they, so I think it's hard because there's from the outside, it's hard to tell who those people are, right? Like they're the people who are taking a job for an ambition versus people who are taking a job so that they can do the job yeah. well. And then if it, if they do it well, they get sort of pulled yeah. away into other roles. So, um, so as you say, though, I think if you interact with those people, you often can tell. And I think one of the defining characteristics is often the way that they think about and treat relationships with the people they lead. Yeah. That, that's a good litmus test. Yeah. yeah. Because if they come in, if if they're ambitious and they're and they're know they're not going to be here for a while, they care a lot less about what people think about them and about the relationships with the people in that organization because they are transient, they're transitory, and they know that it's not going to matter too much. Um, so, you know, I do think that that just those differences in orientation can impact the relationships and can impact the kind and quality of work that leaders do. So what do you, you know, as you're entering this role, like have have you officially started or is it like next week? No. Yeah. it It's actually a week from tomorrow. So I sure. have eight days. It's July okay. 1st is my official start yeah. date. So um, have you thought about like your, your plan? Like, like <laughs> if, like if you're, if relationships are something that is, is critical, yeah. like, how do you attend to that? Like, because yeah. in a classroom, you know, we're really intentional about fostering relationships and making sure that, you know, voices are heard and people have agency. So not to put you on the spot, but have yeah. you th have you thought about that? Like, have you thought about like how, you know, you're going to do this and how you're going to like, um, if you're going to privilege and and really honor relationship building as as a hallmark of your leadership role yeah right. yeah well i think so there are two things to the degree that I've, i i this is not an articulated thing so you're asking me to articulate something that i haven't so i appreciate that um or but, we could workshop it right i mean yeah, that's, like, that's true that's yeah. true so what i would say now is off the top of my head there are two things um, that I've thought about as I move into this role. So one is um, like I need to meet with and listen to lots of people um, that I may not have had conversations with up till now, right? Or had serious conversations with. I need to meet with them and find out what's going on, how they're viewing the the issues or, or concerns or, or things that need to be done um, or not done. 
Um, so I think there is a sort of listening tour notion here yeah. where I really need to do some of that. Um, and I think the other thing that I have to remind myself sometimes is that I have a lot to learn and I have to position myself as somebody who doesn't know because I don't, um, and not jump in and think like, Oh, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I got this figured out. Why don't you just do X? Because likely X has been done, um, or tried or whatever. And, um, so that goes, you know, similarly to the listening first, you know, it's like, uh, Hamilton, right. You know, or it's actually Aaron Burr that says, uh, talk less, smile more. Um, so, you know, it's like, I, I, especially in the beginning, I need to talk less. I don't, I don't need to be asserting myself as here. I have a solution to this problem. Let me tell you how it works. Um, because I do. And that goes back to your point about agency. Like if you come in that way as thinking you're, you have all the answers and you're the smartest person in the room and you're going to solve all these problems that have been kicking around for however long, you alienate all sorts of people right. who have been working really hard to try to solve these problems before you got there. I think the other part is that you, and this is maybe unique to higher ed, but probably not too, is that, um, you know, there's all this expertise that people have yeah. that you have to honor because yeah. if you don't honor it, you know, there, that that's a, you know, that's, yeah, that's relationship, you know, killing that yeah, is a relationship. Poisoned. It's yeah. poison. It is absolute poison. And so I think, you know, asking lots of questions and being ready to listen to lots of answers is a, a, is an excellent starting point as a leader. Yeah. You know, recognizing that there are people who are who've been doing their jobs and navigating their challenges um and your just job is at least at, at the beginning is to understand them mm -hmm. and you know um before you try to solve them, right? Because I mean, maybe yeah. it's it's not maybe solving them isn't the thing that they need. That's right. You know, right? And and maybe it's because that's that's like maybe taking their agency away. Yeah. You know? and maybe it's just hearing them and and helping them find solutions. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, and I think you know, I I won't articulate this very well because it's not fully formed either, but they talk about, a, um, like in, in software engineering, they talk about the X, Y problem, which is, um, you're solving essentially the symptom of some problem right. and there's some deeper cause for that, but you're not attending to it. That's the Y you're solving the X problem. And really what you need to do is solve the Y problem, but you don't, even know that that's the problem because you're so busy trying to solve the X problem. And I think, um, I think that can happen, especially for new leaders a lot where they're coming in and they say, Oh, well, here's the problem. We don't have, you know, we, we don't have consistent, I don't know, scheduling of classes. Like we don't, we don't distribute the classes well over the whole, the whole, um, you know, week and take advantage of the spaces that we have. Like this is a chronic problem at universities, right? So you say, yeah. so this is a problem. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going <clears> to, <throat> Yeah, that that happens at our institution a bunch is that we're not using our space really well. And so you'll see that like some days, you know, and I think a lot of it, it it's just based on, you know, mm -hmm. when do people want to take what off of their classes? Right. And it's like, uh, oh, I'd love to have a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday schedule. And so right. then the building sits open on Mondays and Fridays or whatever. Right. Yeah. right. And then it's like, hold on, you know, because you can run those reports on campus like we run it yeah. like and I was like just amazed as like. Like Wednesday at like noon is like 
every building on campus is being used. And it's like, it's like, well, hold on. Like, you know, like everybody wants to teach it Wednesday at noon for some reason. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you come in as the leader and say, okay, I've got, I've got the solution to this. I'm going to pick everybody's class schedule and distribute it nice and even so that we use all the classes. And, you know, so Ollie, you're going to teach, you know, Monday, Monday and Wednesday from, you know, eight to 10. And, you know, that's just when your, your class is going to meet and you say, you know, you raise your, Ollie raises his hand and says, well, you know, I have childcare and I can't get here before nine o'clock. Um, and I say, well, you know, you work it out, but my plan is great. So just go ahead with that and sort it. I think that's the sort of thing that, um, yeah, you're not really recognizing the the problem. You're yeah. you, you are identifying a different problem. That's uh, right. You've you've identified you, you've identified what you see as a very simple problem to fix, um, and then it turns out that that problem has lots of contingencies and other aspects to it that you didn't consider because you haven't you don't know the whole system yet. You're you're a newbie. Yeah, the one thing I'm I, I wonder a little bit about for for you, and th- this is not something that's really present in our department because we're a small department and we have a, you know, fifteen members in our department. Actually, it's just what we've we just lost a couple of members because they reshuffled some some folks. But um, everyone, there's not a whole lot of like overlap in terms of you know people. We don't we have like one or you know science ed person. We have a couple technology people. We have a couple people who are considered foundations faculty. So mm-hmm. we don't have this like group of people who are all teaching similar content. Oh, right. Uh, and then that's where that is. It, is it the narcissism of small dis- differences? Small that, differences. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that I think is the you know the the concern I have for you is that you're entering this really big role in which you have to navigate these camps of small differences, right? Like it's like these two people don't speak to these three people because of some paper that was published 20 years ago. Some 20 year old beef. Right. Some 20 year old beef about like, you know, whether they talked about it as a heuristic or as an (laughs) algorithm, right? (laughs) No, that's like a real, that could be a real fight right there. And, you know, because one didn't define competency in the right way. I know, like, oh, like I got to, that's, you say the identity. You can remember that. Like, yeah, yeah, my first professional presentation i got you know hammered That's because of how i of how i <laughs> how i presented identity because it yeah. wasn't in line with one of the people in the audience and mm. she hammered me and it was yeah. like well have you considered this yeah why not and i'm like big dummy. Uh, that yep. i that that was outside of my research focus well yeah. why was it outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, boy, howdy, the academics and their yeah, the narcissism of small differences is a real yes. thing. Well, yeah. I mean, have you thought about like how you're going to do that? Like, no. Well, I think that's part of the you know part of the complexity of of big departments, and uh, I think one of the concerns that I have, one of the niggling concerns in my head about what, what word is that? <laughs> niggling. I think that's the to, word. I'm going to have to Google that. Yeah, Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's sort of bothersome. It, it sits in the back of my head and sort of taps on the back of my brain and says, well, here's something you got to think about is, you know, these very complex departments, um, as you say, have lots of weird interrelate, not weird, have have lots of interrelationships that you that are invisible to you until you're in yeah. a position where you have to try and get these people to do something. And they're like, oh, I don't know. She and I don't speak. 
Right. Like, um, wait, you're, you have offices next to each other and you're in the same program and you teach the same classes. And yeah, but we don't yeah. speak. It's right. like, well, okay. So, so these are, um, you know, tricky, tricky situations where you, and this goes back to starting with listening. Like yeah. you, you need to say like, I need to figure out the lay of the land because, you can think two people are best of friends and it turns out that they just act like that in public, but behind the scenes that when they meet with you as department head, they're telling you what a jerk this person uh, is and how much they want to get rid of them. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you seem really nice to each other. Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, that's just surface level stuff, yeah, right? That's just how we behave in public. And, and you know, of course we're not, we're not going to say that stuff out loud. And you, you just say, Oh my gosh, like you, all of those cans of worms. Like, I think that's one of the biggest transitions I'm dreading is all of the cans of worms that are going to get opened about all of the people who I work with that I don't know any of this stuff because I'm a faculty member. And, and as soon as you become an administrator, they, you know, bring in the files and drop them on your desk and say, okay, well, you really want to take a look at that Dreon file because that right. guy is a disaster. And you're, you know, it's got this huge, thick file. With right. Ollie, uh, Ollie Dreon, uh, big right. X on it, yes. big, big circle, red all circle. The, with all the, the hate mail that has right. accumulated over the years. That guy. So, but, but those, those things are real, right? You're going to get into, you know, when you get into administrative roles is when they start telling you, oh yeah, so this person has been an ongoing HR problem and doing X, Y, and Z. And now you have to deal with that. And, and you, you for, you never knew any of it because you were, you were just a, just you know, off doing your own that's thing. Right. Well, yeah, I think I, I uh, first off, I, I did Google niggling. Yeah. And it's like like wiggling, but with an N, N-I-G-G-L-I-N-G, causing slight but persistent annoyance, discomfort, mm. or anxiety. There you go. Look at that. Look at that. I, Look I know you. my words. I learned a new word today. Whew. There you go. Yeah. I I think for, you know, recognizing some of, some of those things that, you know, it like I said, it doesn't really happen in our department, but I know that's in a couple other departments where it's happening. You know, and I, I often think about like, okay, if I was the leader in that department, like how would I, um, I think some, you know, it comes down to, you know, that trust thing. There's at some point trust was, you know, violated, right? Right. There was some, you know, and that is always, and I, you know, I I heard some, this is a complete tangent, but I'm going to like, I promise, I guess I I go back. I was listening uh, to fresh air just recently and fresh air had a, uh, an app. They had somebody who did this, a big report, a big article on um, the book banning um, Mm -hmm. that's happening around the country. And they uh, looked at, you know, um, you know, some of the causes of these book bans and, and how people, the people that are like actually proposing the book bans and, and they're like some really active people. And they're, they are saying that there's like these, um, these people who are serial banners. Like they're like, like usually like it's like a very small percentage under 10% of the people represent like 70% of the book bans, you mm-hmm. know? So like they'll, they'll go and one person in a school district in Florida, Florida submitted like 200 book bans in her district, you know? Yeah. And so, but um, when they, this person interviewed them, this, this individual, um, when the, you know, the reporter interviewed uh, the banner, the serial banner, 
it all came from there being a lack of trust that had developed after the pandemic. Because what they saw was, you know, they were really concerned um, about like the the people who and the and the things that were happening in classrooms and saying, well, I have to look at everything, right? I have to look at everything because there was a lack of trust. And there was a lack of trust that, you know, with, you know, school boards and lack of trust with, you know, administrators and teachers. And so this, and, it, and, and then they talked to um, the people that were in school boards that were like, I mean, and, and school districts were that like, there were camps that had been set up like one camp and like, we're fighting with the other camp and these other camp, they were just like, they realized that they were both fighting for the best things that were happening in our school district, but they had no trust in the other side. Yeah. Right. And these were people that way even been friends before these battles went on. Um, all of that is sort of like a, you know, a representation of what happens in departments or happens in workplaces or happens in, at some place there was some trust that, you know, was violated. Yeah. And that is, you know, the, I think one of the things that always comes to me is that it's, it's so hard to build, but so easy to destroy. Yep. It's true. And it's fragile. It is so fragile. Cause like, it's like, you know, if you have trust, if you violate it just a little, you're never getting it back. And yeah. so, which I think comes back to leadership too, yeah. is that as a leader, if somebody like tells you something or counts on you for something, or then, you know, and you do something to violate that trust, then they're always going to like question whether you, they can trust you again. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think it, it's one of the the scary things about being a leader of a group is um, it's it, it it is impossible for you to do the job without hurting people's feelings at points, right, or right. violating their trust potentially, um, or probably, right. So the question is, and this goes back to the nature of having those relationships. Yeah. If you do that and you have relationships with people, they're going to tell you, and you're going to be able to mend it or try to mend it. Um, but if you have, don't have relationships, then all that's going to happen is that person's going to withdraw and stew and become angry and frustrated with you and potentially with lots of other people because they felt like they're, you know, they're not being treated with respect and with care. Um, and, and so they're going to withdraw. And so I think that is, that is a real worry. I mean, it's something that concerns me about it. Yeah, and well, I think I don't know if this is a helpful at all, or just causing more things for you to, you know, no, have I that mean, persistent it, annoyance at night. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's helpful. I mean, because I think you know, again, a lot of this. Well, going back to something we talked about before on, on a previous, recent, previous episode, is like the ideas in your head make sense. Um, it's when you get them out yeah. that that they that they have to take, you know, uh, they have to be tested by other people or even by yourself. When you see it and you're, you've written it down or something, you say, Ooh, actually there's all sorts of problems with that. That's really right. stupid. Um, so yeah, I think it always helps to, to talk through these things because you don't, you don't know what you think until you talk about it or write it. Cause in your head, it's all just a conversation with you and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a genius. And that's a perfect idea. Yeah. It all connects. There's that yeah. constellation in your brain. It all yeah. makes sense. And then you try to, you know, put the words down, it, whether you're putting them in, you know, you know, conversation with somebody or putting them on page. Yeah. That's when you're putting them on page, it's just so hard. It's like, well, what's the right word that captures that feeling you have? Uh, yeah. I, I would say, you know the 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 thing I'm I, as I'm thinking about this trust, 
like it's okay to let people down, you know, as a leader, like let letting them down or like not following, like not giving people what they want isn't yeah. always trust destroying. Right. Right. And knowing where the differences lie is really comes from listening. It really comes from understanding what their, you know, core values are and what their core motivations are and, and, and what drives them as people. Cause like, we're yeah. all, you know, we, we talk about agency, we talk about autonomy, but like what, like what gives you agency is different than what gives me agency. I mean, probably not like you and I. Yeah, basically the same person. But, but, but if man, like a, somebody else out there, is listening. there's a third person in the world that's yeah. not exactly like us. That other person is not Who, Scott. Whoever they are, <laughs> they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that person is very different. And yeah. what drives them, what gives them agency, and gives them value in their job is completely different. Yeah. And it's and what their goals from like I I think the other part about it is like in in their jobs, what is motivating them and what they view as success in their jobs, even though when they're doing the same job, yeah. right, is yeah. going to be very different. Yeah. You know, like the person who they, the people who might be teaching the same classes, I mean, maybe teaching, have the same rank or have offices next door, what motivates them, it can be completely different. Yeah. And to like, just say, okay, well, we're all professors at, you know, Millersville University. So we must be, yeah. you know, working towards the same, same ends. No, no, incorrect. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, it, there's so many themes this connects to, um, but I'll connect to one more and then we should go yeah. to Joy's. But, but is the dress, right? Which is this idea of like, we don't even see things yeah. in our world the same way. So how is it possible that we're going to, have the same way of thinking about what is evidence that I'm good at my job or doing, or, or what are my goals in terms of my job? Like we're going to have very different notions of that. So, you know, some people have, have goals that are based on the number of publications they've had or the quality of the journals that those, those things are in. Some people care about their teaching evaluations. Some people care about, you know, all sorts of stuff in their job, right? There's maybe the service roles that they take. So, um, so and, criteria and could, for what counts right. as good is messy and complicated. And it may change and it, yeah. it, it will change as they navigate their careers, as they navigate their, their lives and their families and things. So something, somebody who, you know, maybe has a, a, a partner who's ill, you know, their motivations are going to change pretty significantly yeah. from like, yeah, I'm not really that worried about like getting a publication because, right. you know, my partner's been in a hospital for the last six weeks. And it's like, yeah. that makes sense. The only way you're going to know any of that stuff is to, you know, foster relationships and listen to people and, you know, yeah. ask good questions and, yeah. you know, and be present. Yeah. And that, that, be present. Uh, be present. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move All to right. Joyce. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. go first this time. Sure. Sure. Why not? Go ahead. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've been listening to a podcast that um, is sort of, well, it was recommended to me by my daughter, but um, but that uh, I had a, a previous podcast that I listened to by one of these folks. Anyway, I'm making this much more complicated than it needs to be. So there's a podcast called Dear Hank and John, which is John and Hank Green. Yes. Um, and John Green is 
best known for being an author, Fault in Our Stars, it being probably his most famous book. Um, and his brother, Hank, um, was sort of a YouTube sensation continues to be. And the two of them have this long running podcast where they sort of give bad advice, uh, I guess is the way they think about it, um, where they answer questions and give bad advice. And uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's a charming podcast. I like, I liked John Green's um, previous podcast, which was, I'm not thinking of the name of it now, but I will think of it. Um, oh, Anthropocene uh, Reviewed, where he gave, he reviewed uh, things in the world that are human, uh, that that humans are responsible for and rated them on a five-star scale. And it's a great, that's a great podcast. And there's a book that goes with it. But Dear Hank and John is a little more sort of free-flowing between these two brothers. And um, yeah, I've just really been enjoying it. It's it's um it's not it's sort of topical but it's sort of non topical so it's not like you have to listen to them in order you can sort of pick up wherever you want um but anyway I've I've been enjoying it recently because it's uh, highly entertaining well it's kind of like on brand with our show it's like two people talking like yeah. there's like you know there's a bunch of podcasts out there that are like this like just people there talking yeah and you know while we're talking about science education and things adjacent to that you know. I, I, there, uh, yeah, there's yeah. a ton of them and, there are. you know, whether it's comic books or whether it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, ton yeah. of them. Um, so talking about comic books, I will say that, um, just recently, uh, secret invasion started. Mm. And so Is this is another Marvel massive crossover thingy doodle. Well, not, it's not a massive crossover thing. This is actually, it, it is a Marvel, uh, streaming show on oh. um on on oh Disney right right Plus. right i know what you're talking about now yep. yeah and so this is um a tv adaptation of a pretty big you know event that happened just a handful of years ago in um comic book world in which you know this is not giving a lot away um i'm gonna give like very little away by saying this but um a handful of um movies ago you found out that there was these things called scrolls that were like shapeshifters and um mm -hmm. they're in comic books and you know there's it, it mostly came from like the fantastic four you know the fantastic four they fought like the scrolls a lot and um there's a thing in there called the super scroll who mm -hmm. had all these powers that the fantastic four people had and more um but uh in the M marvel world uh, I think it was Miss Marvel a bunch of years ago. There was a um, the uh, scrolls were introduced, and so the scrolls shapeshifters. So they can take on different people's identities, and so this series is about like that they've taken over parts of government and they've taken over you know significant yeah. with the with the intent of taking over Earth. Yeah, and so uh, when this happened in. The comic books it was turned you found out the president was you found out like mm -hmm. you know some of the avengers had been captured like captain america was a scroll and all these other people like they weren't really the people they were but they were like you know these aliens that were like and it was a pretty mammoth thing that happened in the comic book world yeah and so this series starting i don't know how mammoth it's going to be um i watched the first uh episode just recently what the cool thing is is that um, the introduction was AI generated, uh, oh. which is causing some real yeah, I bet. 
some people are like up in arms about yeah. that, um, which has caused some like real heated conversations online. But I will say first episode, it's a it's a political th- thriller. It's not like, you know, um, if you're yeah. save the universe, lots of big fights and lots of superpowers and stuff. Right. Yeah. There's very few people. There's no super powered person in this. Yeah. It is um, Nick, Nick, you know, Fury, Nick Fury. Yeah. It's yeah. Nick Fury centric. And so he he has no powers. He's just a super smart dude, you know? Just a guy. So, yeah. So check it out. Secret Invasion. It just started um, on uh, Disney Plus. And, you know, I'm I'm their target audience. So Yes, um, you are. And so are you. (laughs) I am. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So there's that. But it is I, I if episode one is uh, represent of uh, representing what it can do. I'm pretty excited. So cool. Yeah. To check it out. Yeah. So there we are. There we are. Joys, some leadership, some relationship building, all that. All that stuff. Right here in between, you know? Yeah. We'll see you next time. Catch you then. Bye now.